Uh, thank you, Debbie. I appreciate that. Good evening. My name is Scott. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm in recovery from sex addiction and compulsive overeating. Hey, uh, one of the, the, the things is this. Do you remember when you went through your step study? Those of you that have been through a step study, remember how grateful you were for those facilitators? Somebody gave up their time to speak into your life to help you walk that road. I want to challenge you to think about maybe giving yourself to service to help others find freedom from their addiction and their hurt and pain. Be a great opportunity to serve, and I just want to challenge you with that. If you're one of those people that are good Christian people in the church and say, I need to pray about it, <clears throat> I know that's code for no, but I don't want to tell you to your face, so I'll wait till I muster the courage to tell you later. But if you're one of those people, come to the training and pray there because there is going to be a time of prayer and stuff like that. So come be a part of that. It'll be awesome. And I encourage you to do that. So I'm a big movie guy. And you guys know that I love movies and I uh, love uh, watching movies. And I remember, oh, happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Um, I remember one of the first like love movies I ever watched. Romantic comedy. I was digging it. The Princess Bride. Yeah. Yeah. Love brings us together to way. What love, right? It's such a great, great movie. So many good quotes. He's mostly dead, right? And some of us are mostly dead in our life because we haven't found freedom from our addiction and our pain. We're struggling, we're hurting, we've got pain, and we don't know how to deal with it. Well, we're on step 11, so if you're new to the program, you're here first week, second week, third week, don't freak out. Just listen to what you got, take what you want, leave the rest. And I encourage you, I challenge you, to just think about this. Believe it or not, tonight's lesson is on gratitude. As much as I would love for it to be on love, that's not it, but love is huge in gratitude. Let me read to you principle seven. So in Celebrate Recovery, they have um, the eight principles that go hand in hand with the 12 steps. But they, the seventh principle is this. They reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. Step 11 says we sought through prayer and meditation to prove our conscious contact with God, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And the verse that goes with that is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that's huge. I remember high school. And I remember the girl that I had the first crush on. And I asked her out and she said, oh, I'm not dating right now. And then the next day she was going out with some other guy. And I was heartbroken. Who would reject me? <sighs> but I remember that. I remember liking somebody 
being infatuated with somebody. And what did I do? I wanted to be in every possible conversation with them. I'd want to be around them. I'd want to sit next to them at lunch. I'd want to call them, risk back in the day, remember? You'd actually have to call the phone number and risk the fact that her dad would pick up. (laughs) Hello? Oh, click, right? (laughs) Nowadays, you text, you troll their Facebook feed or their Twitter feed or their Snapchat or whatever it is that they got. And you got to do that kind of stuff. But the point of this is that when we are in love with somebody, we want to get to know them as much as we possibly can. And so many times we hit Valentine's Day and we feel so unloved and uncared for. We have this expectation of what love should be like, and yet what our experience has been has fallen a lot short of that. And so there's resentment and hurt and pain. And there's some of you maybe in this room that are like, you don't know me. I know, I probably don't. You guys are awesome. You're like all my Facebook friends that have the perfect relationship. It's awesome. (laughs) But here's the thing. When I started dating my wife, I started to hang out with my wife, I started to call my wife, I started to shop with my, our first date was shopping for shoes, it was awesome for me, it was great, it was good though, it was a great time though, it was awesome, I got some kicking shoes, some good kicks, right, but it was me spending time with my wife, us spending time getting to know each other, the same thing happens when we come to step 11, who in steps two and three, we realize that there's a higher power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity, And then we surrendered our life and our will over to him. We became believers. Well, now we have this God that's in our life, this Jesus Christ that's in our life, yet we don't know anything about him. We have to spend time with him. And how do we do that? By getting to know him. And how do we get to know God? It's not by those old acid trips. Yeah. It's by reading his word. It's by prayer. It's by meditating on his word. It's by going to church and the fellowship that we get there. It's by those things that we start to get to know God. I get it. I was a singles pastor here for a few years, probably, it was almost, it was eight years, seven years, something like that, singles pastor. And I would see it. They'd walk in the door. I'm in love with my future wife. You've only been dating a week. I know, but I'm going to marry her, and it's awesome. And then like um, three weeks later, she totally broke up with me. I know, that was your future wife. What happened? And we rush into it. We went, or there was the guy that called me on his way to Reno, and he's like, hey, just so you know, I'm on my way to Reno to get married. I'm all, what are you doing? We want to rush into things so fast. It's my administrative assistant's favorite message that I teach, and because uh, it's about backroads. It's about taking the backroads in our life. And I remember going on a road trip with my family. So uh, it was about ten years ago. I think my in-laws moved out to Missouri, maybe a little less. But it was about uh, how much did we say? Seven years ago? Five years ago? My wife and I rented a 15-passenger van, took out the back seat so it was 12-passenger, 
and we loaded up the kids. I had four kids at the time. No, I have five, but I had four kids at the time. Loaded the kids up there, loaded all our stuff up there, loaded food in there, and we drove to Missouri. Now, some of you pronounce it misery for good reason, but we went to Missouri and we took the northern route. And we did some cool stuff. We went sightseeing. We went through Salt Lake City. We got on the salt flats. And that stinking, that van would only go, what, 97 miles an hour? 90 miles an hour, those stinking governors, man. Come on! We go faster on the salt flats. But anyhow, we did all these different things. We checked stuff out. Went and saw a cool prison. Some of you like ran away from prison and got out of there. For some reason, that was a big sightseeing thing for us, seeing an old prison. It was weird. It was really weird. When I'm standing there in the execution chamber and I'm like, this is awkward. <laughs> and then I left and it was cool. But we were on this trip and part of the reason why we went that way is my wife had been reading some books with her kids, with our kids, her kids. <laughs> my kids don't read. Her kids read. Um, and uh, they were reading this book and they were like, I forget what the book is, but anyhow, there was this Sight that would like just grab my wife's attention. It would be, it would be so great to see this, and da, 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 we need to stop. And so it's in the middle of Kansas. Let's show the picture of what we went to go see. Do you have that? You should have that up there. Beth, did we get it up there? We didn't get it up there. It was the biggest ball of twine. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. It was, she's like, it's so great. She's reading this book. She's like, look, there's all these, it's like a gift shop in this town. It's bustling around this thing. And I'm like, they must have nothing to do in Kansas. <laughs> but we cruise into Kansas and we check out this place and we're like, oh, we're coming into town. Great. And then we start pulling into town and I'm like, oh, there's a gazebo over there. We see the big sign that says largest ball of twine. And I'm like, all right. So I pulled this gravel parking lot right up to this gazebo that had a large ball of twine. <laughs> Nobody around. It didn't even have a stoplight in town. <laughs> and I pull up and I'm like, do we gotta get out and look at that? Or like, what do we do? I don't know what to do. We got out, we looked, and then we looked for the gift shop that was there because it was in the book, so we assumed it was there. It was all boarded up and shut down. It was awesome. I was really wanting a ball of twine, um, but we didn't get that, and so we took the rest of the back roads, which if you ever just love corn, drive through Kansas, every field is corn. If you have watched Children of the Corn, don't drive through Kansas, it'll freak you out. <sighs> but we get to uh, Missouri, we spend time with my wife's family, and then we're making our next trip, and we go to Waco, Texas, Waco, Texas. I call it Waco, Texas. I'm like, dude, is that not where they drank the Kool-Aid? Like, what is happening? That was the wrong place. That was a different place. Good, then we were safe. But we went there to Magnolia Farms. Yeah, a lot of you have spent way too much money. I saw a huge tray for like barbecue, carrying stuff around. It was like 100 bucks. I went home and made one for 10. It was Awesome. And uh, so we did that. And then we went to my stop. Tombstone. Yeah. 
Not like Tombstone, going back to the Wyatt Earp time, going back to the movie Tombstone. Oh my gosh, what great stuff. But the whole time we're going back roads. We didn't get on a freeway, we were just driving. This back road, it was long two-lane road, nobody on it. And we just kept driving. It was mile after mile after mile. And I was freaked out, because at one point, it has one of those gas gauges. It's not just a little needle. It literally is like, you have 50 miles till you run out of gas. And I'm like, awesome, that's great. And it's like, you have 10 miles. And I'm like, there's nothing around. We got to start looking. And then it's like, you have four miles. And then at some point, it's like, you're way too low, and we're just going to stop telling you how far you have. As we coast into this gas station and barely get our gas, it was crazy. Backroads, we slowed down. But here's the thing that I loved about that trip. I got to hang out with my kids. We got to talk to my kids. This is before they had like devices. So they weren't like this the whole time. They were talking. We were listening to books. We were doing different things. I think we were listening to Junie B. Jones at the time. For the younger ones, we were listening to all kinds of stuff. It was a really, really awesome time. We got to know each other as a family because of the backroads of slowing down but our society says the exact opposite. Do you know on the back of Pop-Tarts, it gives you the microwave instructions? Put in microwave three seconds. What happens in three seconds on a microwave? Nothing. I, from experience, I know you gotta be at least 10 seconds in before something good starts to happen. I just know this, but here's the thing. We are so just like, we want the quick fix. We have the slow cooking people in here. We got our slow cookers. We used to have one of those little cooking things. You and then you have the pressure cookers. We don't want to go slow. We want to pressurize this sucker and get it done fast. That's what we do. Many of you, if you were going to Missouri, you would, not, you would have even stayed on the highways. You would have just stayed highways. We're just getting there. Typically, that's how I am. When we went up to Oregon as a family, I was like, get on the freeway, go and get back. My wife was like, can we stop and see the tree that you drive through? And I'm like, we're going to get stuck. <laughs> that's how I am, and I want to be on the highway. Some of you would hop in a plane and get there faster. I get that, but I want to encourage you, in your relationship with God, slow down. Slow down. Take the back roads with God. Spend time reading his word. I think it's great when we put on the Bible and we listen to it. I do think it's great. I think it's powerful. I think we can learn a lot. But when we take a moment to sit back and read one verse and digest that one verse, that's powerful. That's powerful. And from my experiences... We want to rush through recovery. We walk in the doors and we go, hey, I'm here. I surrendered. Why don't you trust me? Um, well, because yesterday you were still drinking and today you tell me you're not, but you've already told me 500 other times that you're not drinking. So why would I trust you today? And then we go, I got my 30-day chip. I'm good, right? I've got my 60-day chip. And believe it or not, I get a lot of 60 dayers that come in and they like, hey, I'm good, man. I don't need recovery anymore. I got it. I got it. And they never make it to that 90-day chip. And it's really, really sad. Really, really sad. 
because we don't know how to handle pain. Let me ask you a question. How do you handle pain? How do you handle the pain that you've received either growing up or in your marriage or in church? How do you handle pain? I don't like pain. Pain happens and I'm out. Physical pain, whatever, hitting my thumb with a hammer. I played football. I could handle the pain. I got injured, kept playing. My son just broke his wrist during wrestling in the first period. He wrestled two more periods, got the win. He wrestled through pain. I get we can handle maybe physical pain. What about that emotional pain that cuts deep into our life? We want to numb it. We want to run from it. We want to cope from it. That's how we handle it. Well, Paul Brand and Philip Yancey wrote a book called The Gift of Pain. And in this book, it talks about the fact that in India, how they handle pain. In India, they just endure pain. They realize that life is gonna hand me pain and I have to endure it. They have a class system there. So if you're not high class or upper class, then guess what? You're bottom of the rung and you don't matter. Who cares? You can die and doesn't matter. Their class system or caste system is a little different. But they have this idea that they endure pain. There's no hope to get out of it. And they have no way of avoiding it. So they have to learn to live with it. And some of us, we've been like that. And so we find ways to cope. That's why we go to the porn. That's why we go to the food. That's why we go to the drug. That's why we go to the alcohol. It's why we try to control others. It's why we do what we do. It's why we gamble on a fixed Super Bowl. <laughs> then he goes on and he goes on and he talks about England and how they dealt with pain and how they handled pain. England... They had joy. Why? Because it was during World War II when one of the authors was there and he saw the fact that there was bombs and everything was happening and they found joy because they had a common purpose. You walk in the room here and for some weird reason, you go, these people are sick because they have smiles on their face. Don't they know they're addicts? They go into open share group and they have a common purpose and that common purpose is to seek after Christ and find healing and freedom from their hurts and from their pains. And then he goes in and he talks about the United States of America, the US of A. And he says this, they don't have any pain and if they ever do feel it, they don't even know how to handle it. And that is true. We don't know what real pain is. My daughter comes home sometimes and I'm like, dude, those are first world problems right there. Like, we don't know what pain is. And if we do have pain, we don't know how or we don't have the tools to find healing from it. And that's what recovery gives us. When we slow down and we take time to be with God, we start to learn those things. In the big book of AA, on page 58, it says this, we thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the start. 
And I would challenge you, be thorough and fearless from the start. And if we're on step 11, that through this process, you would be fearless and thorough. And you, that means that you would answer these four areas of what you're grateful for. And the first area is this, that one that you would be thankful to God. Be thankful to God. How are you thankful to God? Because sometimes some of us in this room, we've blamed God. We've blamed God because we're sitting right in the chair that we're sitting right now. And at some point that has to turn and we have to be grateful for God. And we start to work on our heart through being thankful. Two areas that I've been thankful for God is, one is his unconditional love. Scripture tells me that while I was still a sinner, Christ died on the cross for me. He knew all the crud I was gonna do and he still thought I was worthy enough to die for. And his love is unconditional. Unconditional love. The second one is grace that he extends to me. He knows all the sin I'm going to do and he still loves me and he still cares for me. He still gives me grace. Philippians chapter four, verse six says this. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your request to God and so that we would be thankful to him. With thanksgiving, we present our requests to God. Sometimes in our prayers, we pray and we're grumbling. Let me ask you a question. What two areas of your life have you seen God work? Next topic, and we cruise through some of these, is that you are thankful for others. Be thankful for others. When you're making a gratitude list, write some names down. Who are people that you're thankful for? I wrote four names on my list. I wrote five names on my list, sorry. First one is this, Scott Miller. It was the first person that I ever came and I ever told my sex addiction to within a church setting that didn't reject me, didn't turn me away, didn't hit me with the Bible verse, didn't say, ooh, <laughs> that continued to talk to me. And it was by that grace that he extended to me while I'm still here. For my wife, Christine, through all the crud that I've done, all the hurt and pain I've caused you, that you would still love me and forgive me and stay by me. Thank you. No, yeah, yeah. For my buddy John, my first true friend that literally knows everything about me and still likes me. <laughs> He's one of the few guys, there's only a few guys that literally have heard my fifth step. He's one of them. For my two accountability partners, for Ants, Lan Ants and Laren, for Lance and Aaron, and uh, these are two guys that I meet with weekly that are my accountability partners, and I'm grateful for them because when I stray and I do something stupid, they're the ones that kick me in the butt and get me back to working. They're the guys that are speaking truth into my life. Colossians 3, 15 and 16, out of the message version, I have to preface that. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing isolating, but cultivating thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. 
So who are you thankful for and why? Who are you thankful for and why? The third area is this. Be thankful for your recovery. Sometimes we hate it. We're on that fourth step and we're grinding it out and we hate it. The situations in life are not good. Our wife has left us. We've separated. We've got a divorce, whatever it may be. Our husbands, whatever, have done. And we're not really grateful for recovery. Because of them, I'm in this stinking room. And we still blame them. But that we would take a moment to actually be thankful for the work that you're doing in your life. Here's two areas that I've been thankful for my recovery. One is it's taught me how to surrender and to be honest. Believe it or not, I was a liar. I know that surprises you. But I was a liar. It's taught me to surrender and let go. I'm a fighter. I will hold on, dig my feet in. You ain't moving me. I am a Viking. I am a shield wall. Nothing gets through me. And I had to surrender. I had to let go of all that stuff and let God do his work in my life. And yes, that's a process. And yes, sometimes I grab my shield and I plant back down. But it's a constant letting go. The other thing is that it taught me how to forgive and make amends. Because resentments are my number one offender. And so if I don't forgive and I don't make amends, I'm going to be out using again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. As for us, we have this large crowd of witnesses around us. So then, let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and the sin which holds on to us so tightly. And let us run with determination the race that lies before us. It's a great verse. That we would get rid of everything else that's holding on to us. You came in these rooms for one thing, but through this process, you realize you got a whole bunch of character defects that don't really relate to an addiction, but you got to deal with it. Let's get rid of everything that ensnares us and move forward. The last area, or no, the question is this. What two areas of recent growth are you thankful for in your recovery and why? Area four. Be thankful for your church. I had a lot of church wounds. If you heard my story, there's multiple times in my life that I've actually confessed my sin and I felt rejected, I felt uh, disowned. There was a guy that I share that I shared this issue with and he, never, he dropped me off at my house and never talked to me again. I felt abandoned. I had a lot of church hurts. Sex and sex addiction and pornography addiction, we don't mention those things in church. You all thought the same thing first time you heard me say it up here on stage. I know, I know. But here's the thing, is there's a lot of hurt and pain in my life, and I imagine that you've had hurt and pain too from church, people that have been judgmental of you, people that have rejected you from church. I get that, and I'm sorry that that's happened to you. And so I encourage you to make a thankful list. What are you thankful for your church? And one, I have two areas that I'm thankful for. Well, I got more, but two of them are this. One is worship. I love the worship here at Big Valley Grace. 
There's just something about it that gets me going. Been to other churches. I love other churches. I think their worship is cool, whatever. But there's something when I get in here, I'm like, yeah. I love it. I love how loud it is. I know it's because I'm going deaf, and so I need it louder for me to actually hear it. But I love sitting up front and feeling every single bass drum kick. It's awesome. And then there's the other one. That this church holds scripture to be truth. That what the word of God says is the truth. And so I can measure my life off of truth, off of his word, which is why I have to slow down and drive the back roads and get to know what the word of God says. Psalm chapter 100 verse four says this, enter the temple gates with thanksgiving. That when we walk into church, no matter what resentment, no matter what hurt, no matter what pain, and I get it, there's times in my life that I deal with that. We have to enter the gates with thanksgiving, that when we come in the church doors, that we have a thankful, grateful heart. And sometimes that's really, really hard to do. I'd love to tell you I'm perfect in that area, but I'm not. But I'm working on it. So what two things are you thankful for at your church? And maybe it's Tuesday night. But maybe it's Sunday morning. Maybe it's here. Maybe you come to church here. Maybe you go to a different church. What are you thankful for? In a few minutes, we're going to, well, one minute, because I got one minute left. So I better not stall. We're going to say the serenity prayer. And in that serenity prayer says that we would be reasonably happy in this life so that we may be supremely happy with him forever the next. And I want to ask you that you see if it's worth you to do the work of recovery so that you can be reasonably happy in this life. Because I think you're worth it. And I hope you do too. So let's stand and let's say the serenity prayer and uh, we'll head off to group. Oh, the focus question. Why do you think it is important to maintain an attitude of gratitude in your recovery? And uh, if you're online, you can uh, ask that question. If you've got a group that you get together with, that's a great one with your accountability partners or sponsor. Serenity prayer says this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever and the next. Amen. Amen.